learn, grow, and serve as effective witnesses to God's love and power. Amen. We now have our Bible reading from Second Thessalonians. A reading according to the second letter to the Christians in Thessalonica, chapter 3, beginning at the sixth verse. Now we command you, beloved, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from believers who are living in idleness and not according to the tradition that they received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labour we worked night and day, so that we may, might not burden any of you. This was not because we do not have that right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words that come from my mouth make sense because they're inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2 Thessalonians is only a short letter. Three chapters and today we've reached the last of three sermons. Next week we celebrate the Feast of Christ the King, which is the Sunday before we begin Advent. That's right. Only two Sundays before you can legitimately put up your Christmas decorations. I'm sure nobody in our church has put their Christmas decorations up yet, have they? It's going down. Even though today we're focusing on Second Thessalonians, it is helpful to know that in our church calendar, there is, there is always a sense of the apocalyptic about this Sunday. The Gospel readings and the Old Testament readings um, all have that theme uh, each year that we get to this point. Uh, the Gospels particularly uh, take pieces from Jesus' sermon, uh, which has been uh, called by scholars the Little Apocalypse, where Jesus foretells uh, the destruction of the temple and then tells his followers that they will suffer challenging times and be persecuted before the ultimate triumph of the kingdom of God. And this is important for us uh, to know looking at today's passage because if we were just reading today's passage by itself, it might just seem like simple practical advice 
for the Thessalonians not to be lazy and to mind their own business. But Dale reminded us last week that some in the church of Thessalonica had become too apocalyptic and had been caught up in the idea that Jesus would come back imminently. So much so that it led to dysfunction within the community. The old phrase that they had become too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good had some relevance in that community. Paul's instruction to this church is that while they should always find hope in the promises of God, they were called to focus on the now. And part of focusing on the now was their attitude to work. And their attitude to work had a direct impact on their relationship with others. What we do, how we do it, and our attitude to it directly impacts those around us, and particularly in church life. I have, on occasion, in more frustrated moments, been known to flippantly say that churches would be much easier to run if there was no people in them. While God does occasionally call us to a solitary life, and there are seasons where it is good and healthy for individuals to withdraw from the temptations and the pressures of the world, and it is often helpful for the sanity of church leaders to take time off and play golf for two weeks. God has never called the church to isolationism. We are not a separatist sectarian community. The church as the body of Christ is called to be deeply interconnected to God's creation. That includes our fragile environment and its ecosystems and it includes those within and particularly those outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. I could end my sermon there if I was convinced that we actually believe this and we were working towards our response to this call. But in a self-focused, egocentric world where it's so easy to overlook our individual impact and our responsibility because it's somebody else's job or it's somebody else's fault, where it's so easy to get frustrated with others because they didn't get it right, so it makes our job much harder. When only yesterday the Gold Coast Bulletin reports that volunteering on the Gold Coast is quite pitiful when compared to volunteering in other major cities. Perhaps a deeper look at this practical advice and the Thessalonian context might help get us back on track with our call to a deeper interconnection with God's creation and those for whom we're called to build a relationship with. This is a short section of practical advice as a letter draws to a close. But it's important because it brings together two contextual norms for that early church and people around that area would have understood some of the language. 
Those two norms are firstly, the ancient biblical imperative of the people of God to offer hospitality to strangers. And secondly, that the newly formed community was to demonstrate a disciplined life marked by doing what is right. Hospitality to strangers was an essential part of both the Jewish and the early Christian faiths. Hospitality customs in the Bible were concerned with two distinct classes of people, the resident alien and the traveller. In today's world, we would probably call them the refugee and the tourist. In most of these cases throughout Scripture, they're not distinguished as one or the other. They were basically anyone who did not belong to a community or a group at that particular time. Survival in those times required that travellers and strangers be given food and water and protection. And there was no fee and there was no debt owed in return. It was offered out of compassion, out of an understanding that all humanity was both precious and vulnerable. The writer to Hebrews reminded the readers not to neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Because a community of faith was required to provide hospitality, it required everybody in that community to play their part to work to ensure that hospitality could be provided. And because some in Thessalonica expected Jesus to return any minute, they had thought to themselves that, well, we don't really need to tend to the fields. We don't need to tend to our businesses because Jesus is just going to gather that up any day. And it's also quite likely that they had fallen prey to what happens in many Christian communities where some members are less motivated to serve and work than others. From the time of the first gathering of, of the disciples, from the time of the first churches, for those early churches splintered around uh, the Near East and into the early centuries, those communities have needed rules and guidances and regulations to help them to live peaceably together and to balance a sense of doing what needs to be done for that to occur. In the 6th century, St. Benedict summarised this beautifully in his rule of life, that all are to work as they are able. John McQuiston in 1996 expanded that in a more modern context when he said, no one is excused from rendering personal service to others. No one is exempted from performing the mundane tasks of daily life. Rendering service to others is necessary for our own fitness. Exempting someone from commonplace chores endangers them to vanity. Anyone who has teenage children might want to remind them that. 
or 11-year-olds particularly, there is a sense that who we are as believers and followers is evidenced by what we do and how we do, but particularly our attitude towards what, how, and who. We're reminded not to be weary in doing what is right. While I was away, I caught up with an article um, published by ABC journalist Annabelle Crabb. And it was uh, titled, What Australians Really Think About Religion. In this article, um, which it sounds like might become a special later on this month uh, on ABC TV, uh, she does look at a survey that's just been uh, completed, Australia Talks National Survey, which is supplemented by some census data. This survey, amongst other things, found that Australians would prefer that people kept their religious views to themselves. That probably doesn't surprise many of you. But if the church is called to be deeply interconnected to God's creation, including our fragile environment and its ecosystems, including those within, and particularly those outside a relationship with Jesus Christ, I think it should be pretty hard for us to keep our views and our actions to ourselves. It's not surprising that those who were surveyed who said that they were non-religious, out of that group of people, 73% of them said that they wished not to hear from the religious views of others. But the interesting part of this survey is that 53% of Catholics, 39% of Protestants, and 47% of the group that makes up other denominations and other religions also agreed that religion should be a hush-hush affair. So roughly half of those who profess to have a faith would prefer that it be kept quiet and particularly not evident in the lives of others around them. And this was emphasised by another question in the survey. When respondents were asked to list in order of uh, preference eight attributes that were most central to their sense of self or their identity. Australians placed religion, stone, motherless, last. People were much more likely to identify themselves by their political beliefs, which finished first. Their gender, their ethnicity, their sexual orientation, than they were for their religious beliefs. So if this letter was written to the Australian Christians in 2019, what would be made of our apparent idleness? In recent weeks, it seems like the wider public will no longer think highly of a Christian's offer of thoughts and prayers. So perhaps the way to address this is despite the criticism and not at the expense 
of our prayer life, which I do believe is a critical piece of work that has a powerful impact in what we're called to do. But maybe part of our response is not to tire of doing what is right. We have a culture that undeniably calls for us to keep our religion to ourselves. But we have a clear calling to find our identity in Jesus Christ and then to serve both creation and all of humanity. And we cannot be who we are and we cannot do what we are called to do by keeping our religion to ourselves. But it is a challenging work. How do we cut through the culture? The noise of, I'm fine for you to do what we want on a Sunday morning, but keep it away from me. You can pray for whoever you like, but don't pray for me. We're called to offer a sense of authenticity about our doing what is right. St. Benedict called his group of monastics to do what they could as they could. And for the Anglican Church at Rabina, we're also called to do what we can as we can because of who we are. And that will look different for everyone. But the key is for it to be authentically done from the gifting that God has given us, from the community of support, and from the Holy Spirit working in and through us. It was, on Friday just gone, it was six years since I began my work here in this church. I haven't aged a bit, have I? In the month leading up to my beginning here, I found that on the Gold Coast, people ask you two questions. Where are you from and what do you do? In the six years that I've been here, those questions still emerge. It might be asking a little bit too much of us all that the next time somebody asks you, where are you from, that you might say, I'm from the Anglican Church Rabina, but I am a child of God. And if somebody says, well, what do you do? You might respond, I do what is right. That might be a step too far. But if you are a teacher, do your best in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what is right. If you're in retail, do what is right. If you're a student, do what is right. If you're retired, do what is right. If you're in real estate, a lawyer or a car salesman, do what is right. That will really shock the world. One of the worrying parts of Annabelle Crabb's um, article, for me personally, was that of those surveyed, 70% of Australians distrust religious leaders. 
So as I begin my next 60 years with you, I'm going to commit anew today that in the power of the Holy Spirit, I will do my best to do what is right. Let us pray. Lord, you call us to find our identity in you. You call us into relationship with you and with each other. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you call us to be witnesses and to work in the world, to offer radical hospitality, to serve and to share. Help us as a church who is searching for ways to connect deeper with our community, to be aware of this call to us, which is no easy task. Help us to be challenged by your word this morning. And as we go, help us to be authentic in our response. Help us to know that we don't have to be anything other than who you've created and gifted us to be. Help our responses to be gentle, to be wise, and to be loving. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.